Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebajemra, and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before, and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer, we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're going to find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you want to know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. And so today we hit episode eight or lesson eight in our series called Unshaken, Strong in Faith, No Matter What. And um, we are in Joshua chapter two. I've called this teaching when I find myself at a crossroad. A crossroad is basically a diverging road. You can either go this way or that way. And uh, often in life, if you're like me, you're not sure which way to go, but uh, you can't help but tell when you're in a place of a crossroad. You can sort of sense it sometimes. You can see yourself headed to there, or maybe you're there right now. And, and sometimes we're iffy. We want to go a little bit, then come back, and we're not sure, should I go this way or that way? And so we're going to meet a woman, Rahab, who found herself at a crossroad, a crossroad of faith. In fact, I was thinking a little bit about the types of crossroads that, that you and I face in our life. And you can think about relational crossroads. Maybe you're in a marriage that's at a crossroad. I got an email this week from a lady who said they're going through some unexpected, unchartered waters in their marriage that though they've been struggling, this is a new struggle. So they're at a crossroad. What are they going to do now? That's one type of struggle. I was thinking about the struggle. Um, maybe you're at a crossroad in, in your fight against sin, or maybe you're at a crossroad financially. You're in the job world. You've got to decide, do I stay in this job or do I leave? Or or maybe you've been forced into a crossroad and, and on and on and on. And so, um, and I was sort of trying to categorize those and I try to think about what we might be going through as we hit the word of God. And, and at the end of the day, no matter how you look at crossroads, the heart of it really is a battle of belief. And so we're talking about this lesson, unshaken, strong in faith, no matter what. And when you're at a crossroad, whether it's in marriage and relationships it, with your kids, money, um, hobbies, idols, you name it, you go down the list, really at the heart of it is who do you believe? Do you believe God or do you believe your views and your desires and outcome in the matter? And so there's always this wrestling match of faith. And we're going to see in the story, sort of this wrestling match of faith. There's a crossroad and this woman Rahab makes one decision. Everybody else in her town makes another decision. You'll see how it plays out for her. And so you know the people of Israel who we've been kind of walking with in the Old Testament, uh, they, uh, in the last chapter, sort of had a low point. It was uh, in the last lesson. We did Numbers, I think, chapter 13, where they were at Kadesh Barnea and they failed in faith big time. And it cost them a generation, 40 years in the wilderness. Only two men were faithful, Joshua and Caleb, aside from Moses, obviously. And so the entire generation basically could not see the promised land except for two, those two people. And now in Joshua chapter 1, uh, Moses has died. And now the leader has been assigned Joshua, one of the two faithful men. Uh, we remember about Caleb, who was wholly devoted to God. And now Joshua is like this leader who's been basically mentored by Moses. And he's been uh, basically a legacy. It's been turned over to him. And so he comes in, Joshua chapter 1. He's close to 90 years old. And you go, what state of mind was he in? This is a man of faith. And Joshua 1 starts 
with God saying to Joshua, do not be afraid. Multiple times in the first 10 verses of Joshua chapter one, God is telling Joshua, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Don't be afraid. And it is a reminder that as strong as we are in faith and as, as, as good as we've lived and as, as faithful as we've been, that there's this thing that, that continues to be an issue in our life. And it is this concept of fear. What if God doesn't come through for me? What if uh, this isn't going to play out the way that I want it to play out? What if? And we, we were paralyzed by these what ifs. And it is so encouraging to me to know that here's Joshua, who is a man who has been commended as faithful, who is strong and, and loves the Lord. And yet God tenderly stoops down to Joshua and pours these words. And, and if you're familiar with the word of God, and by the way, we're hidden, we're going to Joshua 2, where our story is for today. But just to remind you, I mean, these are the verses that you might have grown up in Sunday school, hearing this book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night. He goes on, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So now Joshua doesn't just have years of faithfulness. He now has a promise of God renewed. And God's like, you're going into the promised land. And by God's grace, Joshua and this generation are going to go into the promised land by faith. But they've got to get through Jericho first. And so here they are. Joshua has learned well from Moses. Uh, he had seen, you know, this concept of sending in a couple of spies. And so Joshua sends two spies in Joshua chapter 2. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies. Now you go, why did they send them? Well, it was a recon. So anyone who is in battle and army and whatnot, you sort of understand that this is part of the game. What's ironic, what's interesting, and you're going to see in a minute, that those two spies are sent to a mission to scope the land, to study Jericho. And we're going to see that they actually never fulfilled that purpose. But another purpose is fulfilled in the meantime. You go, what other purpose? Well, I believe the whole point of the spies going into Jericho to do this recon mission is to serve this one purpose, which is to meet Rahab and to get her into the kingdom of God. And so we're going to see how this plays out. And so Joshua, the son of Nun, sends two men secretly. And he says to them, go view the land, especially Jericho. Jericho was a very great position uh, strategically. So if they got Jericho, they could get into uh, the promised land of Canaan. This was a land promised to them by God. You say, why? Is this fair? Look, it's, it's God and his ways. He created this world. He can do what he, want with it, what he wants with it. And so uh, this is the word of God as we know it. And so whether we like it or not, it is the truth of God's word. And by the way, I uh, uh, grew up in, in the other side of this whole, and this is back in the Old Testament, but even moving into the New Testament, I grew up with a background in Palestine. And so many people get uptight about, well, whose land is in and who got the land? Listen, all I know is God has a plan and he makes a promise and he fulfills the promise. And life isn't about this land right here, but the promise that is to come and the land that God has for us in the future. Nonetheless, here they are. They're going to get this land that God has promised them. And uh, so these two men, they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, Rahab, and lodged there. So of all the places that they could have landed, and whether, we don't know how they ended up in this house. Was it actually a very smart move because they thought nobody would find them there? Was it accidental? Some commentaries talk about the fact that she was a prostitute, but really it was an inn that those places functioned as an inn. She was an innkeeper. Uh, I really believe uh, she was a prostitute. There, the Bible doesn't try to hide that. In fact, there's a reason here uh, to show us 
exactly how God works and how his plan of salvation. Incidentally, you know, in John chapter four, when Jesus came on earth, one of the first women that he went uh, to meet, actually Mary Magdalene might've been the first woman who came to know him as savior, but in the stories of the gospels, the first big encounter of Jesus after John uh, chapter three with Nicodemus was who? It was uh, uh, a woman who was known to have a very uh, immoral lifestyle. And she's the woman at the well. And so uh, it reminds me of that as we study the story of Rahab, you sort of can't help but think about Jesus going after the woman at the well. He, he goes out of his way to meet her. And here in the story, we see these two spies who land of all places into the house of this woman named Rahab. Very interesting woman. Here, here's what happens. So this is the woman that the king of Jericho sends message to and says, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Uh, then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they have come to search out all the land. So here's her king of Jericho, and here's two spies from the enemy. And so Rahab is now at a crossroad. She has the king, her people, who she's known her whole life, who is threatening her, but also this is the king, she's a prostitute, so there's a certain amount of maybe pressure to come clean. And then there's these two spies from a land that is going to attack them. They're not coming to check out hotels for a Christian retreat. They're coming to scope out the land for an attack. And so Rahab is at a crossroads. It's a crossroad of faith, and we're going to see how in a minute. But she has to decide, which way am I going to go? What am I going to choose in this life? And so, and so here she is. Uh, they say that to her in verse 4 of Joshua chapter 2. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed and dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So she lies, and so a lot of people get caught up with that, and frankly, I'm encouraged by that because I, uh, I believe that it is another indication of God's grace, imperfect people, and a good, good father. And whether this was, again, strategically, you could talk about military plans and actions and how God can use, you know, on and on. You can, you can analyze this. You can write questions about it. I won't have any answers for that other than the Bible doesn't hide that this woman lies in order to protect the spies. Why? Why? We're going to see why. This is critical. It says in verse 6, but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the forts, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So here the spies had meant to come and look at the land. They see nothing. They immediately hide in the house of Rahab. So again, mission unaccomplished. In fact, they never fulfilled their mission, but they're about to accomplish their purpose. Sometimes in our Christian life, don't we do that? We have a mission that we're intent on and we get so caught up in it and, and we don't want to miss our purpose while we're trying to accomplish our mission. And so they actually never go into the land to scope it out. But here's what happens. Uh, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to, me, to the men, I know that the Lord, here it is, the why. Why did Rahab choose to protect the two spies? It's, we're going to see it right now. This is what tips the scales at the point of crossroad. Rahab is about to make a decision. And here's her motive and her explanation. She says to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Here it is. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites 
who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the land. So again, they did not fulfill their mission, but they had accomplished their purpose. God had let them, had, God had led them to the house of Rahab for this encounter. And now she, they said, and she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide, three, hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather into your house, your father and mother, and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And, and I love this. She doesn't wait. She doesn't wait three days. She doesn't wait a week. It says right there. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. This woman knew who she believed. She, had, she was all in. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. She takes the scarlet cord and puts it down. And, and if you know scripture, by the way, I can't help but, but get a picture, the symbolism. There's a few things here. First, you picture Rahab and her family members in the house, covered by the blood, the cord coming out of the window, a picture of the blood. And again, not an accident that that red cord, the scarlet cord was, was put out. The people of Israel understood the symbolism of the blood over the door, the Passover, how they escaped Egypt. And the only ones who were protected, remember that night at the last plague was people who had the blood over the door. Now Rahab has the cord, but also a reminder of Noah and his family who hid in the ark. The ark is a picture of Jesus. They hid in the ark while the storms brewed so that everybody in the world died at the great flood except for Noah and his family. And here, Rahab and her family, they're at, she's at a crossroads. She makes a decision of faith. And by faith, in Hebrews 11, we're told that, that, um, that Rahab is a woman who by uh, faith, in Hebrews 11, verse 31, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And so Rahab is commended not because she was a truth teller, not because she was morally righteous, not because she did any good works, but because by faith she believed that God was able to save those who come to him and believe that he is the one who would save. And so uh, when you're at a crossroad right now, you might find yourself at a crossroad of faith. What are some lessons of application before we give you the punchline of the life of Rahab? We're going to catch that in a minute. But let me give you a couple thoughts so far as we kind of synthesize uh, this story. As we've read it through, you've sort of had a little feel for what's going on here. Here's, here's a first point to bring out. When you're at a crossroad, it matters less where you're coming from than where you're going. All right, this is critical. When you're at a crossroad, it matters less where you've come from than where you're going. Now listen, 
I get that our past is a part of our life. It shapes us. I get it. I get it. But here's what we do. Uh, we become our past failures. Our problem, whether you're in Christ or not, is that we can so easily, I, this happens to me. This has been a big battle for me this week as I've navigated sort of uh, the future of the book. We're just launching the focus groups for this book I've written, and I've already had three books published and so I have a sense of how they've done and my expectations and it is so easy to be paralyzed by our past what we deem as failures and the whole world can tell you no you're okay you're not the bad doesn't matter in your mind we can be paralyzed by our failures in fact uh, we are not our past failures but we make ourselves be our past failures so many people are so paralyzed by their failures we can't move forward and so we let our past define us we let our past control us we let our past destroy us while all God wants to do is let our past teach us. It's not that our past doesn't matter. It's that it's been forgiven. You say, how do we, how do we know that? What is a good place to sort of look at that? Well, uh, the greatest apostle of all times, I would say, is, is the apostle Paul. You say, what was Paul's job before he became an apostle? Well, he was a, a killer. He was an assassin. He killed Christians. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he, he gives testimony to what God has done in his life. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You say, how did Paul handle his past when it became a shadow over his present? Well, he wrote in Philippians chapter three, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul was never oblivious or in denial of his past he knew his past but he saw it as a magnificent gift of God's grace that despite his past God loved him God reached down to him God saved him and God was using him and so here's Rahab a prostitute who who of all the people in the world the least likely candidate for salvation and yet God sends two spies who think they're on one mission but he sends them to deliver her from a past that in some ways you might think she might have had no control over. We don't know the details of her past. Eight times in scripture, the name Rahab is mentioned. This woman, Rahab, is mentioned eight times. Six of those eight times, the qualifier, Rahab, the prostitute, the harlot, is given six out of eight times. You say, this is unbelievable. Will you just wait till I give you the punchline in a minute? And so here she is. She comes from this past that could have paralyzed her, but instead she uh, commits that she's going to change and you say how well here's point number two when you're at a crossroad you have to find or to have a compelling reason enough to change we don't change unless unless or until we get to the place where we see that we need to change let me give you a practical example of that i uh, i've been on the keto diet you guys know a year ago i did the keto and if you follow my facebook at all you know that and and you know i did it for a good six months and then i got lazy and Frankly, I was at a weight I liked, and I just thought, oh, a little here, a little there, doesn't matter. Next thing I knew, I was not on the keto anymore, but I was okay for a while, and then COVID hit, and, and then I didn't think about it, and I just never weighed myself. And then two weeks ago, I weighed myself. You know where this is going. 
I had a panic attack. And so I decided I'm going back on the keto. There was no room for argument. Why? Because the pain of staying where I was was too great. All this work that I had done before had gone down the drain. And, I, and there was a point, there's a tipping point where you, if I was one pound more, I wouldn't have thought of it, but it was a little bit more enough that the pain was big enough that warranted immediate action. I think most of us don't change until we feel the pain in our life. Most of us, the, most people who smoke don't stop smoking until they have a baby with lung disease or until they're, they're told they might have cancer. On and on and on. There are habits that are hard to change until the pain of staying like you are becomes greater than the pain of changing. And so I wonder a lot about Rahab. You know, people assume that people who have difficult lives have asked for their difficult lives when they haven't. Often it's the circumstances of their life. Maybe they weren't given an upbringing that allowed them to break out of a cycle of, of in her case, this, this immorality or poverty. I would assume she needed money for her to give her life away like that. And so, so you think about all the things that might have led her to this. She didn't want to be that. And so as soon, she said, what was it though? What was the tipping point? She, so she had pain. She didn't want to be a life of a prostitute. But all the people in Jericho knew the facts, but only Rahab responded in faith. And so what was it uh, that tipped the scales for her? Well, we find our reason to change by listening to truth. You don't just change. You know, it's funny. I, 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 I was thinking a bit about change today. And the point of a crossroad is not simply to find a new way, but to find the right way. If you're at a crossroad and you're going to it, and one way is going to lead over a cliff and you're going to tip over it. Well, what's the point of going down that road? You've made a change. Is that a good change? No. So many people in the world think, well, I've just made a change. Well, what kind of change? And we see this in marriage as probably the easiest illustration. People are married. They don't want to work on the marriage. Next thing you know, they divorce. Are they happier? Nine out of 10 times, no. Or maybe they're temporarily happier until they get married again and they have the same problems. Why? Because nothing has changed. But what changes us is the truth. And the radical nature of the life of Rahab is the motive for change. She heard about the Lord. She received the truth. She saw with her eyes what God had done, and she believed in her heart that there was a God who had created the world and chosen a man and opened the road and blessed and flourished, and she wanted part of that kingdom. I wonder what people think about our God. I wonder what, what kind of stories are being propagated about the God of Christianity, Jesus Christ. Are we living culturally in Christianity in such a way that creates a hunger in the hearts of people around us to long for the Savior? They might hear about him through the word of God. They might hear about him through, through hearing stories of miracles. And yet we live in an age where we tell less and less miracles. We've put God in a box. Well, God can't heal. God can't move. Well, he can only do it if you go to dinner, if you're this part of the church. And, and we've got so many rules about who God is and what he does that we can no longer elevate our God and have the world see exactly who he is. You say, how do we elevate him? Well, through his word. She had heard of God. She had heard that he was faithful. And she had heard that he had protected his people. The stories were abroad. And she wanted to be a part of it. We find our reason to change by listening to the truth about God, and we find our reason to change by choosing to believe the truth about God. Now, maybe you are in the faith. Maybe you're already a believer. And maybe for you, the challenge is that you know a lot of truth, but, and I get stuck in that place where your faith needs a little bit more practice. This whole series is about staying unshaken, strong in faith no matter what. 
my nephews have been in football and so one of them is going to play college football and so he has to be strong he's a lineman and so you say what have they been doing all summer man they are diligently working their muscles every day is a workout look i'm i'm, I'm not critiquing I'm, I'm proud of them they're focused but but it takes work to look like the incredible hulk and yet we think that our faith is going to naturally grow. We don't practice our faith. And so God allows us to enter difficult situations to practice faith. And so maybe you are at a crossroad and you know a lot of truth. Maybe you need to be reminded of the truth of who God is. He is a God who can do the impossible. He is a God who pours courage on us. He's a God who understands how hard our past is and frees us from it and says, unleash yourself to a future with me. And so how do we let go of those things in our past that hinder us from growing? Well, we do it by faith. We remember what God has done. We tell the stories of victories. I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself right now. We choose to believe, we put our faith, not in my ability to change the circumstance, but in trusting a God who alone can and wants to change our lives for good. That's what Romans 8.28 is. For we know that all things work together for good. God's heart for us is the heart of Jeremiah 29.11. Whether or not that verse is taken out of context, God's heart for his people is for good. He defines good, and so you don't have to be afraid. You say, how do I do this? By faith, the same way you did it at salvation. If you don't know Jesus, the first time you do it is when you say, I can't save myself, but I believe that you died to save me. And if you are in Christ, you do it day by day by day by reviewing who he is and what he has done and choosing to believe that he would do it again because of his goodness. So we, when you're at a crossroad, it matters less where I come from, it matters more where I'm going. Number two, when you're at a crossroad, you have to find a compelling reason enough to change. And number three, when you're at a crossroad, it might cost you everything to gain your life back. For Rahab, the whole town was destroyed. The people of Israel, remember the battle of Jericho? It happens in, first of all, there's a miracle of Joshua chapter three, where they walk through the water. This one is not the partition of the Red Sea. This one is a step of faith where the priests walk into the water. And as they walk into the water, the water split and they make it to the edge of Jericho. And then they walk around Jericho seven times and they say nothing. And imagine the people of Jericho watching, laughing at them for seven days, walking around this building, the high walls of Jericho. And on the seventh day, they blow the trumpets like God has said and the walls come crumbling down so that they did nothing to win the battle it was all God all the time and they had learned that after 40 years of wilderness the other side of the house of the prostitute was a people who would see God do the impossible and here's Rahab picture her at the edge of the town watching them circle up believing trusting that they would indeed keep their promise because of that red cord hanging outside her window and so indeed in Joshua chapter 6, the people shouted in verse 20, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. In verse 22 of Joshua 6, but to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house. Again, no, make no mistake, this is the people God loves to save. People who can do nothing for themselves, people who recognize their need. Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her and as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her and they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. 
everything was gone except for this woman and her family who were safe. But Rahab, verse 25, the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. When you're at a crossroad, it might cost you everything to gain your life back. So reminiscent of the words in Matthew. I jotted down here, Matthew 16, uh, verse 24, verses that will sound very familiar to you if you've been a student of the Bible for any length of time. Jesus telling his disciples what it means to follow him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And then a, a verse in, in uh, I jotted down, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. I, I love uh, that verse also, a reminder of, and a person's enemies will be of those of his house. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I love the verses in, in John, kind of the same idea, just to drive this point home because some of us have forgotten what it means to follow Jesus. Some of us have forgotten the truth about discipleship, which is saying no to self, saying yes to Jesus. It means giving up everything that we might think valuable for the sake of the one thing that is most valuable. His name is Jesus. And so in, in, in chapter 12 of John, it says in verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That is the secret of the kingdom. It is an upside down kingdom. You die to self and you see life and flourishing. You deny yourself, you give space to the Lord by faith to work through you and things happen that you never thought possible. Can you imagine Rahab showing up to the land of Israel, the people of Israel? Can you imagine her and her family sitting, maybe given a tent at the edge of the camp and an outsider and a foreigner, a woman from the land of Jericho, the enemy, and now by faith she is, what, one of them? How do you integrate? How do you, how do you make a community now? How do, you, how do you do this, talking about division? I mean, we are reconcilers, the people of God. Second Corinthians chapter five talks about the ministry of reconciliation. That is who we are in Christ, and yet the church has had such a hard time reconciling the basics, even as we now try to navigate this discussion of, of blacks and whites and the church. Forget the world just within the walls of the church. It's such a burden. And so picture this woman, Rahab, who is now trying to, to converge with the people of Israel. And how did that all look? Well, here's what I know. In Matthew chapter 1, we're given the genealogy of Jesus. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, remember the 12 sons of Jacob, one of them is Judah. And by the way, Judah's reputation was bad. He slept with his daughter-in-law and was busted for it. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. That's his daughter-in-law. So that's the line of Jesus. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. 
taught you guys about Ruth a few weeks ago. And, but here again, a reminder of how God reconciles people. A marriage happens between Salmon and Rahab. She goes from being an outsider to being the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus, married into the line of Judah, a picture of God's redeeming grace. It started out with a red cord that declared that she believed that there is a God who saves those who recognize that they cannot save themselves. If you are saved, if you claim the name of Jesus into your life today, then you know that there's nothing we could do. We came to Christ by faith. It is the price of his life on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin that saved us. If you've never received the gift of salvation, you can accept Christ now. You just tell him that you want him to save you. You ask him to forgive you your sins. But listen to me, the challenge is for us believers as we live in a world where we are at a crossroad, a crossroad of faith in serious, difficult, controversial issues, in day-by-day relational issues and practical matters and in our own ghosts of our past, trying to figure out, God, how do I change? How do I gain victory? A choice to be made. Will you live for yourself or will you live for Him? And are you willing to risk it all for the sake of Christ? I know that if you're a follower of Jesus, everything in your soul says, yes, 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 I want Jesus. And perchance, God could pour His favor on us as He did it in Rahab's life. What a woman of God. She might have started out a prostitute, but she ended up the great, great, great grandmother of Jesus. What a gift. And so that's our lesson for today. When I find myself at a crossroad, let's choose faith. Faith to believe that God is good and that God is faithful and will fulfill His promises to us. 